sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. We're in a, uh, a series on prayer, and this week we're going to talk about the importance of prayers of confession. I think prayers of confession are important in today's world because we live in a society that is very self-absorbed, but not very self-aware. You know what I'm talking about? How is it that we can think about ourselves so often and so much and so highly and yet totally be unaware of how we come off to other people? Totally be unaware of our own faults and flaws. I think one of the big reasons is because we make excuses. Right? If, if something bad happens, it's because of some outside influence. But if something good happens, it's probably because I was so good. We do this in, in games all the time, don't we? Uh, I've got to just bring up this little story because uh, you might not know that I'm a born and bred Tennessee Vols fan. And I know, I know. And this year, when the Vols beat Alabama, and of course the goalposts got removed and tossed into the river, I have got a buddy, a former acquaintance, I would say, maybe, maybe buddy's too strong a word, who is a huge Alabama fan. And this guy was getting online, and anytime anybody said anything about Tennessee, he was saying, well, it's a good thing you had the refs on your side. They won you that game. And what I wanted to say was, bud, if Alabama had played better, that call wouldn't have mattered. If you were up by a couple more touchdowns, the refs could have done anything about it. But you didn't play that good, so we beat you. Well, I, didn't, I didn't say that. I just said, bless your heart, and, and moved on, you know. You get to do that when you're the winner. You get to. But we do that all the time, right? If I lose the game, it's because the refs made a bad call or the weather was bad or the other team cheated or excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. It couldn't possibly be because my team didn't play well as well as the other team. It has to be because some outside force caused us to lose. Right? The fact is, so often in life, we are unwilling to reflect on our own choices and to look where we went wrong. We want to believe that we are great athletes or great students or great players or just great people and that if we struggle in some way or fail in some way, it's because some outside factor caused us to do it. Because it couldn't possibly be my fault. So this unwillingness to engage in self-reflection leads to self-absorption without self-awareness. And you could just see it all of the time in almost every corner of our lives. People going around being self-absorbed without being self-aware. But 
the good news, I suppose, or the less bad news, is that this is not a new problem. It's been going on for quite a while. Remember Adam and Eve? It's not my fault I sinned. The, the lady made me eat it. Oh, no, it's not my fault I sinned. The snake made me do it. I guess the snake didn't have any great excuses. But we've been doing it since the beginning of time. Scapegoating and blaming. So today, we're going to look at another example from Scripture of a person who was caught up in this cycle. But he managed to, managed to get out of it with a little bit of help from God. We're talking about King David today. Now, Scripture tells us that God, David was a man after God's own heart. But at the height of his political and, and spiritual power as king, I think David got a little too big for his britches. He started to believe that he could do no wrong. He started to believe that whatever he did was okay by virtue of the fact that it was him that was doing it. God loves me. God's approved of me. God's anointed me. So everything I do is okay. He got him into a mess of trouble. Y'all probably are familiar of the story of David and Bathsheba, right? He was hanging out on the roof of the palace and he saw Bathsheba bathing like minding her own business, and he decided that he wanted her. But she was married to Uriah, who was one of David's generals. But since he was the king and everything he did was right in his own mind, he just called her up to the palace, got his guards to go take her out of there, and he slept with her. And she got pregnant, and so he had to engage in a cover-up. So he had Uriah murdered. On the front lines of the battle. He sent, he sent Uriah out to the front lines of the war. And then had everybody else pull back except him. He got him killed. And as soon as he was dead. He married Bathsheba. To cover up the fact that his pregnancy was illegitimate. So that was that. David got away with adultery. I would say it's even worse than adultery. David got away with rape and murder. He didn't even do the self-reflection to realize that he'd sinned against God or anybody else. And you know how I know that he didn't do this reflection? Because when he was confronted with it by the prophet Nathan, he didn't even recognize what Nathan was talking about at first. Nathan told the most obvious allegory in the world about a man who stole his neighbor's beloved sheep. To confront David with his own sin. Compared Bathsheba to see, and David just couldn't, still couldn't see the obvious allegory here. Well, that guy did something awful. He ought to be punished for stealing that sheep, is what David said. And then Nathan told him, you're the guy. Bathsheba's the sheep. How can you not see this? <coughs> David was self-absorbed with his own power and not self-aware enough. Of his own sin. To be able to obviously interpret what Nathan was trying to tell him. So here he is. He's called out. He's called up to the floor as a person who had sinned and sinned pretty badly. Adultery and murder, those are two of the Ten Commandments that he'd broken, and they're pretty big ones too. But to David's credit, once he was called out, he did the work of reflection. He went to God in prayer, 
and he confessed. So that's where we're going to pick up with our scripture today. Today we're reading Psalm 51. This is the prayer of confession, the psalm that David wrote after he got called out for his sin, after he was confronted. We're going to see what David's confession looked like. And then we're going to see how we can use the model of this prayer to develop a prayer of confession for ourselves. We're in Psalm chapter 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and then sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressions your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open up my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then the bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we can see here that all the self-examination that David had not done before is back in full force. David's taken an inventory of his life and of his decisions, and he doesn't like what he sees. So I think we can learn a lot about confession from David's prayer here. The first thing that he did that I think we can do is he examined his heart in his life, in his actions. Verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Right? And so David needed a little help with that. Right? He needed a little prodding for, to, to see his transgressions out in front of him. He needed Nathan to come in and, and serve it up to him on a silver platter. But you know what? You and I don't have to have that. There's a step that David didn't take that we should take. David had to be visited from a prophet to know his sin, but there is a much better way to do it. We could do it ourselves. I don't know about you, but I would rather examine my own sin in the privacy of my own prayer closet than have someone else come from the outside and put me on blast with it. Wouldn't you? So part of a regular healthy prayer life ought to be what are called prayers of examine. 
And that's, that's spelled E-X-A-M-E-N. It's an old term for a, a prayer time in which we sit down, ideally at the end of the day, and we examine what happened that day. And we look and see, where did I fall short today? What sins have I committed today? Where has God been faithful to me today? Where has God blessed me today? Where have I done good things for God today? How can I praise him for the good things? And how can I work on the, the bad things? It's an opportunity for us to invite God into the events of our day at the end of the day. And I kind of used to scoff at this idea. I used to think it was a little bit navel-gazy. But now I don't think it is. I think it's extremely helpful for us to be self-aware of where we went wrong during the course of the day. And it will keep us from being self-absorbed. I like this idea of a prayer of examine at the end of the day. And it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't mean you have to take hours to pour over everything. But if you take five or ten minutes and think about the day before you and say, what sins have I committed today? Where did I go wrong? How can I ask for forgiveness? I think that could do us a lot of good. So the first thing we can do is examine our days. Pray a prayer of examine at the end of the day. And that way, God doesn't have to hit us over the head with our sins like he did David. He can gently prod those things out of us. We can come to him willingly. The second thing that David did that I think we can, we can learn from is he examined, he, or he, he kind of failed to examine, but we can examine. But David confessed his sins. Look at verse 4. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Well, I think he probably sinned against Bathsheba too, but I, I see what he's saying. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. David did not make excuses for himself at this juncture, did he? He said, no, I've sinned, and it was all my fault, and I can't blame someone from the outside, and I can't blame the referees, and I can't even blame Bathsheba. It was me. I did it. I'm the problem, like Taylor Swift says. He didn't make excuses for himself. He didn't try to deny that he'd sinned against other people. He's just saying that ultimately his sin is against God. But like, he didn't beat himself up too bad either. He's a sinner and he's owning to it. But the, the purpose of confession is not to beat yourself up, right? The purpose of confession is not to feel bad and then keep feeling bad because you're just so bad. The purpose of confession is to confess and then do better. Look at verse 17. He says, The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He felt bad for it. He had a contrite heart. He not only acknowledged his sin mentally, he allowed himself to feel something about it. I've broken the heart of God. I've transgressed against the sin of God. I, I, I am sorry. God wants you to be contrite for your sin. He wants you to feel something about your sin, but he doesn't want you to believe that you're utterly worthless because of it. There's a fine line here. You need to feel contrite, but know that you are a worthwhile child of God the whole time. 
The purpose of confession is not to beat yourself up. It is to align yourself with where God is by confessing your sins. So we examine what's gone on in our days. We confess the things that we've done wrong. The next thing that we can learn from David is that he repented. He knew that God was the only one that could make him clean. I love this idea that he said, he didn't say, well, God, I guess I'm going to do better from now on. No, he said, God, you need to give me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. That's true commitment to, to repentance. It's not trying harder to do better because if your effort to do better would have worked, it would have already worked by now. Right? But depending upon God's spirit to cleanse him. Realize that your best shot at being better is not to try harder, but it's to submit more of yourself and let God do that work in your heart. It's not through gritting your teeth. It's through letting go and being more submitted to the spirit of God. You cannot make yourself better. Only God can do that. And this chapter is filled with God, or David asking God to cleanse him because he knows he can't unmake himself clean. He can't unkill Uriah. But God can take the sinner and make him clean. Create in me a clean heart because I can't do it on myself. That is the true spirit of repentance. It's relying on God for your righteousness. And the last thing he did that I think we can learn from is that, and it's really the best part, David received forgiveness. That's the whole point of confession and repentance is to know that you've been forgiven and to claim that forgiveness for your own. Look at verse 19. He said, After I have been cleansed, then you will delight in right sacrifices. Then you will delight in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Confession should always end with a recognition of God's forgiveness. Because his forgiveness is always freely available. That's why we don't practice like formal confession to a priest in, in the, the um, Protestant church. But the Catholics do. They confess to a priest. But, but the great thing about that is they get to hear the word spoken aloud. Someone tells them, okay, I know what you did, and you're forgiven for it. What a gift. But, you know, we don't have to be Catholic to do that. We can practice confession. Find someone you trust to hold you accountable. Engage in confession and prayer to God. And then allow someone else to speak forgiveness into your life for that. Do you walk around your days with unconfessed sin? You know, when we walk around praying for God to change the world, but don't give God an opportunity to change us, it kind of rings a little bit hollow, right? Change everybody else all out there, but not me. I'm good while I am. No, a, cha- a prayer for change in the world has to start with me. If we're not doing the introspective work of confession, of examine, of repentance, and of receiving forgiveness, then our relationship with God is not complete. 
We can't spend all of our time in prayer for intercession for people out there without also praying for God to come and enter into us. And then we become one of those who are self-absorbed and insufferable because we're not allowing God to change us. Confession is a chance to invite God into our every days, into our ins and outs, and to transform us and to cleanse us. And so I, I think it is a great time for us to be in a season of confession right now. This week, I don't know if you've heard about this online, but uh, there's been at uh, the college next to the seminary where I went to seminary at Asbury, there's been a revival going on. They had chapel service on Wednesday, and that chapel service hasn't stopped five days later. People have been continually in there worshiping God, and, um, and they say that, like, there's like a palpable sense of the Spirit of God there. It's, it's amazing. But, you know, one of the cool things about it is everybody that's been there and has seen it and has reported on it, they have not reported on healings or, like, there's not a lot of pew jumping. There's not a lot of, like, crazy manifestations of the Spirit that you hear about sometimes. The biggest evidence that anybody cites about that is that people are repenting of their sin and receiving forgiveness. That's it. They're confessing, they're repenting, and they're receiving forgiveness. That is the miracle that God is doing in people's lives. And I don't think we can, we can count that out. None of us are immune from sin. We all have a propensity to sin. But God has given us the gift of prayer. He's given us the gift of being able to examine our days and submit to him more fully. So today, while we sing our final song, I want to invite you, if you've got something you need to confess, come to the altar and confess it. And uh, let's do some business with the Lord today. Let's engage in repentance and receive that forgiveness from God. Our closing hymn is hymn number 397, I Need Thee Every Hour. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to stand and sing. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do need you. God, so often we, we fail to examine ourselves. We think that all of our problems are on the outside. None of them are coming from inside the house, but God, you know better. I pray that you will give us the grace today to be able to examine our lives to confess our sin and then to be freed from that sin when we receive forgiveness. Meet us here today, Father. In your name I pray, amen.